if you've been raised in a church, you shouldn't be robbed of the information of how to communicate to people, how to protect yourself, how to honor your body, and how to honor your partners. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle, light your world. Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's fire starter is Brenda Davies. She's the creator of the popular YouTube channel, God is Gray. Welcome, Brenda. Hi. (laughs) So great to have you. Uh, You're a fabulously beautiful person. (laughs) Join our podcast. Um, Thank you. (laughs) I want to thank my friend Sasha from Russia. I told him I'd give him a a shout out for introducing me to your message. So if you could give Sasha a shout out to him, I'd appreciate it. Oh, yeah, Sasha. Hello. I'm so grateful that you're a part of the God is a Great community and that you're spreading the word. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's really feeling empowered with your message. So, but and I thought, like, uh, as I've been watching your videos and listening to your podcast, that your message fits so perfectly with how I wanted to relaunch my podcast into that learning, uh, becoming a better you, you know, self help space. So interestingly, when he introduced me to you, I was already working on materials for spiritual manipulation, you know, where we get those things in our places. But I thought, let's have an expert chat with us because you have so much more information on this than I do. So I'm excited to get into that. But before we do that, can you just please tell our audience just a little bit more about yourself? Yes. Um, I started God is Gray about a year and a half ago, which is amazing that it's had such exponential growth. And the community is something that I'm so, so proud of because it's welcomed in a lot of very diverse people. Like I just uh, thought I'd be talking to Christians or people that were like, um, you know, feeling lost in their Christianity. But at the end of the day, it's a lot of Christians. It's also a lot of you know, obviously different genders and different sexual orientations and different religions. And I have Buddhists and Satanists and Hindus and, um, you know, Jewish people and all kinds of, you know, people coming from different faiths that are in this community, like just sharing ideas and talking and feeling welcomed and safe to ask their questions or to, you know, present their disputes about Christianity or Christians themselves in a safe space. And I'm really glad because I felt like from the moment I started, it was very important to me to make it a safe, welcoming place and to steer the conversation in such a way that would encourage people to be kind to one another. Because I hate so much of the discourse in our society today and the us versus them is something that I really want to dispel and get rid of. Because I think it's all about hearing one another out and listening and exchanging ideas about faith and biblical interpretation versus screaming at each other about what the answer is. Yeah. And telling each other how we should Mm -hmm. be living. I mean, on top of that, that I I guess what I really love about your message is that it is so loving and affirmative. I mean, of course, you've had mud slung at you a little bit and, you know, talking with a Mormon and we talked about other people's faith and how uh, that's even that may be even controversial at this point. But Well, and we never really talked about what your title, God is Gray, really means. Um, Yeah, I got a lot of fun flack for that. It's, um, yeah, because everyone's like, God isn't gray. I'm like, I know. So to me, God is infinite and divine and black and white, perfect, fathomable, but only to that entity's self, like infathomable to us, crazy to us, like something we can't even wrap our head around. So I believe God is all perfection, all beauty, all joy, but it's called God is gray because humanity is a disaster. And uh, there are a lot of gray areas that need to be addressed and not everything 
as a matter of fact, almost nothing is black and white in our journey in this life. So the gray area is where you're diving in and you're really questioning your faith and you're really questioning whether or not what you've been taught is true or whether or not to take that job or whether or not to marry that person, you know, whatever. Those are all gray areas. You can't open up a book and be like, oh, good, I have this answer. That's, you know, that's black and white and that's not the way life is. So God is gray as let's dive into those complicated areas and see where we land without being cruel to each other, ideally. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) That's the struggle. I'd love to hear like a little bit more background story of how this journey brought you to this point of building this affirmative community that you have. Well, it's really fascinating to me because now we're putting a language and words to things that I didn't have words through when I was going through it. For example, the concept of deconstruction and reconstruction is something that I had no idea about until, you know, probably like six months ago or less, even though I've been on the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction for like 15 years. So basically, I was very um, spiritual oriented my entire life. I loved Jesus from the get go and would always be at my bedside praying when I was a little girl. And my family is something I would have called casual Catholics. And we just like (laughs) went on the holidays and stuff. And so it didn't feel like a huge weight of pressure. I didn't feel a bunch of guilt or shame. I really just felt spiritual and, and curious about that aspect of life. So when I was 12, my friend invited me to a born-again evangelical Christian church, and that's where things really, really changed, and for me, got very warped, because when I was Catholic, or when I was just, like, following spirituality in my own way, I never felt, you know, sexual shame. I thought the spiritual path was really about seeking God, and praying, and cultivating that relationship, and being kind to your neighbor and fighting for justice and et cetera, et cetera. But when the evangelical church kind of presented what I call an obsession with sexuality, I believe that they have made an idol out of sexual purity that is completely distracting us from what the message is all about. And now in this era, whatever your opinion may be on Donald Trump, like, I don't even want to get into it. But for me, no matter how you spin it, it definitely put a mirror up to our whole society about what we actually think a Christian person is. Because from the way I see it, a Christian person is supposed to be a Republican, anti-choice, sexually pure, heterosexual, virgin or married person that, you know, defends our borders. And I'm just like, (laughs) is that what a Christian is? Because I never thought, you know, but I mean, looking back at my evangelical life, I realized that it really did feel, you know, defined by that. And it politics did creep in slowly but surely over the past few decades. And, um, you know, and there's a whole historical back story to that with the moral majority, etc. But you know, just being an innocent teenager, I just was going with the flow. And I was told, God cries when you masturbate, God cries if you have sex before marriage. And sexuality was such a focus, a hyper focus that, you know, I really defined myself as I'm a pure virgin, and therefore I'm Christian, and therefore Jesus loves me. And, um, Basically, I ended up lasting until I was 22, which is commendable because I was a very sexual girl since I was a little girl. But, um, you know, I went on this whole process of even that and trying to dive into the Bible and figure out, wait, why do I have to save myself for marriage? Because there's so many contradictory stories and so much polygamy in the Bible and no real representation of a traditional marriage like we have today. So... I kind of used all of that definitely to justify losing my virginity. And I just, and by the way, I don't subscribe to that phrase anymore. I don't like losing your virginity. It's you had a sexual experience and, you know, you're not losing anything. But at the time, that's what I would have called it. And I really just felt like sex had become an obsession for me because I also experienced um, anorexia. And I really made a strong comparison between the two. I realized when I was obsessed with 
not eating food, you're not allowed to eat food, you're restricting yourself. I thought about food 24-7. And if sexuality was becoming the same thing, the older I was getting, the more my hormones were going off. I just like really couldn't take it anymore and decided I'm just going to alleviate myself of this obsession, have a sexual experience and move on with my life and like pray God forgives me. And when I scratched that itch, so to speak, it definitely helped. It definitely subsided those thoughts. The obsession waned and I felt much more calm. But because I kept being sexually active with this person, I felt so guilt ridden and so ashamed that he and I ended up getting married because I would just like cry after we had sex and feel really panicked and feel like I was going to get caught or that everybody was going to hate me and God hated me. So I couldn't hear my voice anymore or his voice anymore. And it caused a lot of compartmentalization too. I was like, my spirituality is here. My -hmm. sexuality is here. And they can't look at each other because they have nothing in common anymore. I'm being rebellious and evil on one side and I'm trying to be a good girl on the other side. So when we got married, I was hoping that would alleviate that pain. And it really doesn't. When you've been indoctrinated by these ideas and and you can read like Linda K. Klein's book, Pure. She did research on sexual purity culture and that doctrine for 12 years. And it really shows that these toxic messages stay with you to the point they even sometimes lead to vaginismus and different issues with sexuality, men having erectile dysfunction. Like it can lead to very serious, deep psychological and physical effects because, you know, when you're taught, no, 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 it's evil, it's evil, it's evil, wear a white dress, everything's all good, forget about it. That doesn't really work for a lot of people, and it didn't work for me. Well, and the other side of that is if you do save yourself for marriage, I just know so many people that end up having a bad relationship sexually with the spouse that they supposedly save themselves for because they're so stuck on how dirty and you know, um, Mm -hmm. creepy uh, sexes, which isn't, that's not the truth at all, you know? So, I mean, there's the one side, yeah, if you end up succumbing, (laughs) uh, you have the guilt, but then there's also guilt if you save yourself and then you you never enjoy it, you know, with that shaming. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but... No, that's okay. I mean, it's a very legitimate problem. And I've heard all the rhetoric before, you know, all of my naysayers on the other side, you know... I know how it's presented. It's like, no, 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 sex is beautiful. You should enjoy it in marriage. It's going to be amazing. There's going to be fireworks and orgasms and you're going to live happily ever after. And it's like, yeah, you can say that. But when, you know, someone is approaching really any age, but even especially if they're getting older, you know, I get emails from... 40 year old virgins, no shame in that whatsoever. But you know, if it's not an autonomous choice, and it came out of that shame, then that breaks my heart. And a lot of people get stuck because they just can't flip that switch of like, you know, they were told it's dirty and terrible and sinful and will separate them from God for so long. And like I said, it's been proven in studies that, you know, even a woman or a man's body can actually shut down in response to that. Like, the body carries trauma on its own. Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily, you know, you can't expect one party with your friends and family to get rid of years and years of indoctrination about what sex is or what sexuality is. And I mean, the countless emails I get from men asking if they're allowed to masturbate, asking what they're allowed to touch themselves to and not allowed to. And am I sure masturbation isn't a sin? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, please just do it and move on with your life. You know, like you, you know, whatever, but either way it causes so much compartmentalization. And I also think even if you could start enjoying sex after marriage, I think it's still a journey to realign your sexuality with your spirituality if you haven't been perfect or if, God forbid, you've been violated by somebody else. Like, you will put them into two different categories until it feels safe to unite them, which would be in a heterosexual marriage. And then you have to start the journey of allowing God into that space, which I think a lot of us aren't comfortable with. And it's only something that I've started to do over the past year or so because leaving my marriage, which is something I did after my husband admitted he was cheating on me, which is really the greatest thing that could have ever happened because it really freed me and was able to like 
allow me to just ask bigger questions and ask if I really believed what I had been taught and ask if I really loved the person that I was with and I really saw a future with them. And when those answers were no, I swung to the other side because that's the other thing. If you're teaching people this certain paradigm (laughs) of perfection and they're trying so hard to hold on to it, and then all of a sudden they go freak out and release themselves, the pendulum doesn't like swing to the middle and even out and all of a sudden you have a healthy sexuality and you know how to handle it. It's like, no, you swing all the way to the other side, Mm -hmm. whether it's violating somebody else, like we've seen in the Catholic Church with that sort of repression, or whether it's me, where you just like begin abusing your own body, you know, with other people, not respecting sex at all, not respecting those relationships at all, like, So it takes years and years and years to realign after so much repression and so much compartmentalization. Well, and I don't want to like uh, shame or blame or I don't know, point anybody out. But a good example of that is the Duggars, you know, when they they had I mean, they had like really controlled, you know, like almost abusive controls on what their kids were doing. And then, you know, come to find out their oldest was like into some really interesting stuff yeah so and I I mean you see that you see like people who if once they get a taste of it it's like they go crazy and that's really scary so after your divorce and you know this whole discovery how did you decide to you know Mm -hmm. open up that safe space to other people yeah it was really just a personal journey for myself and I had to leave church completely and and leave a lot of those relationships I maintained my closest, most intimate relationships with Christians, namely my parents or people I've always been able to have open dialogue with and talk about Jesus with in a really wonderful way. But really, I had to separate myself because everyone's voice was so loud. I was determining whether or not to get a divorce. And biblically, it was sound because there had been, you know, adultery or whatever. But you know, I still, people were encouraging me to not give up so easily and to honor my promise to God and to honor the vow that I had made. And it was just so loud. I was like, okay, I got to get out of here to hear my own voice and to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And also I knew I wanted to explore my sexuality after that. And I knew that no one would accept it. And that I wouldn't be safe to share those experiences with anyone in that world. So I really did all of this on my own. And sometimes it was beautiful and positive, And other times it was to my detriment or to the detriment of my partners. And the real passion I have for sharing that journey now and for inviting other people to not do what I did or even behave how I behave now or even handle their sexuality as I do now, like, I'm not even saying, hey, look at me, I'm doing it right. Because for you, it may be completely wrong. I got pregnant with my best friend with benefits. And, you know, that makes me a terrible Christian in many people's eyes, I'm sure. But I'm a woman in her 30s, like living alone, just like living my life. And this was someone that I loved and I chose to be intimate with on occasion. And this is what happened. So it's like, is that a perfect paradigm that I recommend to people? No. (laughs) I think commitment and marriage and everything is quite beautiful. And I think a lot of adjusting that we have to do right now in our relationship to welcome in this baby, to make sure we're honoring ourselves as like true partners and companions is like, you know, probably a lot harder than people that do a more traditional route. So again, that said, it's not about like, look what I did and do what I did. It is about, okay, so how can we reframe these conversations? If, um, you know, like you said, even the older Duger boy, like who knows what his sexual journey would have been if he had been allowed and welcomed to express himself in healthy ways. If you had a household full of kids and you were teaching them all the value of pleasure that God didn't just make punishment, that pleasure is also a real thing. And that's why when you're five years old and you're taking a bath and you're touching yourself, it feels really good. Like, you're not supposed to slap the child's hand away and make them feel ashamed, which has been the Christian approach. It's like just instill fear in everybody, scare the hell out of them, tell them they're going to die of AIDS and get pregnant and that gay people are out to make everybody gay. Like, just let's scare everybody so that everybody stays in this perfect little box of heterosexual marriage and we all go to heaven together. 
it's like absurd because for one, you know, that just sounds absurd to me. But also the moment you even do a little bit of cursory research on sex education, you can see that the nations like uh, the Netherlands, which have some of the most successful rates of, you know, low teen pregnancies, low abortion rates, etc. It all comes from educating children from a very young age about pleasure, about privacy, about autonomy, about respecting other people's bodies. And then as they grow in age, you teach them more and more. And education does not, you know, like, Ignorance breeds bad choices. Things like what the Duger parents did, what this uh, woman who is not delightful called the activist mommy does. She has a lot of children as well, and I worry about each one of them. But she's all about fear as well. And it's like withholding information never did anyone a favor. If you give your child, your teenager, your young adult ample amount of information, then what are they going to do with that? Make positive choices, make wise choices, gather up all the facts and evidence together and like trust them. I think so many of our pastors and preachers don't trust their congregations and they give these blanket statements for like the most basic thinkers or for the most, you know, sadistic people or something. (laughs) And they're like, just stay in this box, just stay here and don't get hurt. And it's like, just give people the tools and trust that they have the Holy Spirit and that oh, they will be that. able to make wise choices on their own. Yeah. Well, and I do want to clarify, I mean, it's not totally just about um, a free for all for sex or whatever your podcast. Or, uh-uh. It's really awesome to hear some of the stories like I was listening to the one on masturbation and, you know, um, self-harm, um, some of those other ones. And they talk about kind of that journey. And like I said, I mean, you sometimes you have to go down a really cruddy road to really figure out what's the truth for you. And that's the problem, though, is that we spend so much time shaming. We spend so much time almost telling our kids too, like they don't have a right to the autonomies of their own bodies. You know, like they don't they don't have the right to um, even fend off sexual advances or whatever. I mean, especially if it came from an inappropriate place where it's being forced on them. At least that's kind of how it was like with me growing up. I'm much older than you, but but it was really um, it was normal to be. I mean, uh, that's why the Me Too movement was so big because so many women have had sexual advances come upon them and were just supposed to take it. I mean, I think that's what I love mm-hmm. about it is that there's a lot of learning going on through all of these experiences for good or for bad. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, definitely discovery. Yeah. So and that's that, where modesty culture comes in, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and that uh, women get blamed for that. You know, that I mean, mm-hmm. I, I heard that growing up. I remember being at college and it was a religious school and they have these rape phones. And it had been after I had I'd been working up in Seattle and I'd had some some really uncomfortable situations happen with men that I was working with. And I was very aware. I mean, finally, I put down my foot, but I was very aware of I did nothing. <laughs> to advance that, you know, to advance that situation. And looking at that phone and and seeing how it operated and somebody from the campus came around, some employee, you know, I just wanted to see how these phones work. And his response was like, well, if a girl gets raped, it's her fault anyway. And I just was like blown away with that attitude because... Like I said, you can do nothing to advance it, and it's just somebody else uh, taking out their aggression or their anger about something else on you. Um, and the yeah. person coming to help on the other side of the rape line. <laughs> no, they said... was, it was just uh, somebody <laughs> like an employee that came by while I was looking at it, but it wasn't it okay. wasn't the person on the <laughs> the phone. Just to clarify that, that was a really bad <laughs> oh, situation. But... I mean, it's just as terrible, but yeah. wow, yeah, yeah. Well, we've kind of talked about like some of those challenges that you've had. You know, as you started, I mean, you said some very controversial things. Um, I'd love to hear like how these. <laughs> ideas are really disrupting that status quo in your niche of, you know, religious beliefs? I mean, yeah, I think I know there is a huge fear of what people are also now calling progressive Christianity and more conservative Christians see it as a bunch of promiscuous, you know, crazy gay, wild people who just want to live free and still feel like they're covered by the grace of God and have no accountability and they can just do whatever they want. 
And I understand why they think that because they are, to me, so stuck in the sexual obsession of evangelicalism. So it's like, sure, if you define Christians as heterosexual married people or heterosexual virgins, then yeah, I understand why it would be scary to you to hear someone say, look, I'm in my 30s. I'm not ready to get married. I did not want to abort this child. I chose to go forward with it. And I'm not going to be shamed in the marriage because I was having a sexual relationship with someone. And also it's for me and God to decide whether or not I felt conviction for that sexual relationship, which I didn't. It was the healthiest, most giving, loving, inspiring relationship I've been in. And I even came up with the concept for God is Great when he and I were just hanging out in my living room, drinking wine and having a nice night which was a very divine moment. He said I like disappeared for a minute because I was like furiously typing on my computer. And he was like, where did you just go? And I was like, I think I have an idea. It just like poured out of me. And, you know, point being, he was in that space when that happened, not the perfect guy with the perfect religion. And, the you know, it was just like, we need to be open for beautiful things to happen, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our choices at times. God is still open and willing to talk to us and commune with us. And um, so I think the most infuriating, difficult thing, which I'm going to have to just keep clarifying video by video and hoping more people understand. A lot of people do understand, thank God. But I am absolutely not saying that life is a sexual free-for-all and we just can do whatever we want. I am saying that God is not as obsessed with sex as we are and that that is not what makes a Christian, you being a heterosexual virgin, and that we need to think much bigger than that. But also, you know, whatever, like (laughs) taking care of people, giving to our neighbor, loving others, having wonderful dialogues with people, not alienating people from our family or our friend groups based on stupid conversations about things you've heard on Fox News or, you know, it's just like, this is, this is silly. This is not what a Christian conversation or a Christian community is supposed to look like. We don't look like a united front right now because we're not, we're very, very divided. But as far as sexual stuff goes, for me, it's about, Joshua Harris, do you know um, the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye? I actually haven't heard of that one. I'll have to look at it. (laughs) Go ahead. You're lucky. (laughs) Lucky because it's bad. This poor guy, I have a heart for him. At 20 years old or 21 years old, he wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. He's a homeschooled Christian virgin. And his whole thing was about no dating allowed, only courtship. If you go on a date with someone, the parents have to be there. If you kiss someone, what if that kiss was supposed to be for your husband? If you emotionally give your heart to someone, what if you're giving that heart away to the wrong person and you're not going to have enough for your husband? Like, So he added more anxiety to the purity culture than was already there. And basically, when the Me Too movement happened and everything, these girls started a hashtag, like, I survived, I kissed dating goodbye. And, like, I don't know how many, but a lot of Christian women and men responded to it and shared their stories of how damaging this book had been to their sexuality and to their health and to their relationships, even if they pursued virginity and ended up only sleeping with one person, that that it still caused anxiety and fear and shame and um love this conversation (laughs) yeah yeah that's that exactly that happens okay go ahead (laughs) yeah but we've been living under his doctrine for a long time which is crazy because like I said he was a 21 year old homeschooled virgin no offense to any 21 year old homeschooled virgins god bless you like I love you like follow your path and if that's the path you want to stay on like I do not shame anyone for choosing virginity or for choosing, you know, waiting for marriage and to have sex. And virgin, too, is another word that's, like, in dispute nowadays, which I like. But um, anyway, he just, I think about a month ago, ended up denouncing the book, ended up coming out on Instagram and, and, uh, like, announcing that he was divorcing his wife of, like, 30-some years or 20-some years. And... He did not say, 
I'm not a Christian anymore, which is annoying because a lot of Christians are throwing him under the bus and saying he said that. What he said was, from what I know of what a Christian is supposed to be, I cannot call myself a Christian anymore. And I relate to that because I'm like, yes, again, a Christian is a virgin in a per- or in a perfect marriage. So you're getting a divorce. You're on a sexual exploration. You're not sure what you believe. Other people say you're not allowed to call yourself a Christian when you're in that space, which I always find incredibly unfair. And I've always fought against that because I'm like, no, I'm a Christian. I don't care what part of my journey I'm on. I am still in love with Jesus. I'm still following that. Sorry if my journey is scaring you, but I'm still on the path. But anyway, since he denounced his book, it's left this wide open space of what on earth are we going to tell people about sexuality now? If the godfather of purity culture, Joshua (laughs) Harris, just said it work, if Linda K. Klein wrote a whole book about purity culture and how it's destroyed upwards of millions of people and their sexuality, where do we go now? And I would love and be so honored to fill in that gap in any way I can. To being honest, right? To being honest about how we feel and (laughs) who we are and all of that. Exactly. Yeah. It's so easy. Just be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. And it's not saying disrespect your body, do whatever you want, bang whoever you want. It's saying invite God mindfully into your sexuality. Invite God into the bedroom that you walk into. Like, I think a good example I have too from purity culture and the way I was compartmentalizing is that when I, I had a sexual experience when I was in New York one time, I just like hit on a bartender and went home with him. And in the moment, he was being very, um, he was being like violent and really aggressive with me. And it's maybe something someone else would have liked. I wouldn't, you know, he wasn't like predatory. He wasn't doing anything that a lot of people might find inappropriate, but that was not the kind of sex that I would have wanted in that moment, especially from someone I didn't trust or know. And I sort of just floated above my body and never said anything. And I processed that experience as, well, of course, what did you think? You know, like you, first of all, deserve to be punished because you're being a bad girl. You deserve to have bad experiences because you're living outside of marriage, you're having sex outside of marriage. And also no one had ever given me the language or the knowledge to express myself in a healthy way or to know what my sexual desires were, to know what my limitations were, because I was never allowed to explore it outside of the no, no, wear a white dress, yes. So that's another thing I really want to impart to people. Like when you're inviting God into that, into your sexuality, if you, if you got so far as to bringing a bartender home, which I argue I might have not even gotten to that spot because I probably wouldn't desire it if I was really connected. And that is not to judge anyone or say that if someone has a one night stand, they're not connected to God. I'm not saying that. But I am saying the way I see my spirituality and sexuality now, that's not a desire that I think I would necessarily have. But let's say I did and I walked into that bedroom and he began to get violent, you know, like, I want women and men to have the language. If you've been raised in a church, you shouldn't be robbed of the information of how to communicate to people, how to protect yourself, how to honor your body and how to honor your partners. You know, I also know a lot of Christian men on the flip side who have really disrespected women Mm-hmm. because they were like, well, she's not my wife. I'm having sex with her, but like, she's not my wife. I'm not going to see her tomorrow. I'm not even going to take her on a date. You know, if she, if I'm abusing her, whatever, this is just an experience. Well, and, and that like, carries outside of the bedroom too. <laughs> you know what I mean? The disrespect that men have. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it's all of our fault and it's no one's fault. We all should be accountable for the way that we are handling sexuality in the church And we should all be accountable to how we've raised our young men and women and what results it's produced. Like the Bible says, look at the fruit. Linda K. Klein's book, Pure, My Ministry, whatever, says, okay, so here's the fruit. LGBTQ people, you know, have committed suicide, have been alienated from their families to the point that they have some of the highest homeless rates among teenagers. Trans people are being murdered in the streets. Like, that's the result of that doctrine plus vaginismus, plus ED, like this is the, this is our fruit. Look at it. 
we need to do better regardless of what your sexual ethic is. It may not even go, like I said, beyond the bedroom. It could go to just not being able to express to somebody how you really feel. I mean, we are told from a young age we have to stuff down how we feel about something if it doesn't mesh with whoever's around us. You know, at the time, like we can't be really honest and open. And I guess that's what I really like about your message is that I'm seeing that like you're letting people explore who they are and then figure out, like I said, if that works for them or not. And the differences with the like the shaming, the shame culture that we have, you know, if somebody chooses that, chooses the, you know, monogamous relationship or whatever, it's great if they choose it. But the problem is, is that we are we're projecting how we think everybody should live onto everybody else. I mean, it's like we're just throwing up all over everybody, you know, like of what yeah. we feel is right. <laughs> when in actuality, it may be right for us, but we need to respect other people to the point that we can acknowledge the fact that it might not be right for them, you know, and that's, Mm -hmm. I guess that just that honesty is what I love to hear about. And I think that's, let's dive a little bit into that spiritual shaming that we discussed, because it can happen in every avenue. Like, like I see it in the homeschooling community. It's not necessarily in church, but you know, of how we should, the perfect homeschooler should be or, or any community that you're in uh, has this, this little bit of shaming that you have to conform to whatever that group is. Yeah. Just give us an idea. Like what does that shaming look like to you? Do you think? I mean, like you said, it's really diverse the ways that you can be shamed, you know, like I love men. I'm not a man basher at all. Like I, my heart goes out when a man feels ashamed that he can't lead his family or that he's not, you know, talented in fixing a car or making the strongest choice in the relationship, like, or bringing home more money than his wife. Men get shame in those ways for not being the provider, for not being the lead of his relationship. And maybe that's not necessarily his strong suit. And it breaks my heart that men feel that pain. As for women, um, Sarah Bessie also has a wonderful book called Jesus Feminist. And I have always hated pink. I hate, like, I don't hate everything feminine. I am quite feminine. But, like, I don't want to sit in a circle and, like, talk about feelings necessarily or, (laughs) you know, like, I'm... Yeah, even in Girl Scouts, I was always jealous. Like, I was like, wait, the boys are out camping and building (laughs) fires and we're in here knitting? Like, what is happening? (laughs) That's so true. Yeah, so it's like, it's crazy, but it's true that, you know, like you said, not only Christianity, but all different kinds of religions have been very patriarchal and slanted in that way to the detriment of both sexes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like it does harm to both. So this is not an attack on men saying that patriarchal systems are a mess. It's actually would be beneficial for both parties to just break free of some of those paradigms and like toxic theologies because, you know, Sarah Bessie talks in Jesus Feminist about these women that were financially providing for Jesus's ministry and women that were like, you know, preaching in the churches and taking to the streets and, you know, the virtuous woman talks about how she's out selling her, you know, she's talented and she's selling her goods to people. And, you know, I mean, she's not only, I mean, that's part of that virtue is that she's smart and educated and has the ability to take care of herself and her family if she has to, you know? So I don't know if you've read it like that, but that's how I've read it. No, for sure. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, it's really interesting. I encourage everybody to research and I present as much as I can. But my friend Jamie Lee Finch wrote a book called You Are Your Own, which is also incredible. And she refers to herself as an ex-evangelical because she does not want to be a part of this faith anymore. And she doesn't it's not resonating with her at this time, at least. Um, And she dived heavy into research about the moral majority and the racist roots in, um, you know, different sects of our Christian faith. And I think it would really do a great service for anyone who is feeling trapped in the, the conventions of Christianity to go deeper. Because in the 70s and 60s, there was like this huge outcry for women. Like when I marched in, um, 
in the LA march after Trump got elected, my sign said, my mother already marched for this. Don't make my daughter too. And that really sums up the way I feel because that is what it is. Like, wait, my mom already fought for my birth control. She already fought for my rights, my equal pay. And something happened. And I really blame and focus a lot of it, as does Jamie Lee Finch, on the moral majority, the entrance of Ronald Reagan and, um, oh, what's it called? Those pastors that I just love, and I'm saying it sarcastically, the Falwells some really powerful men with ill motivations started to shape how we were supposed to see our religion. And it's worked. It repeated itself with George Bush. It's repeating itself with Donald Trump. And like I said, it's not about getting political or even shaming you for your politics. Like if that's how you voted, I very much disagree with you. But I'm not talking about that. I'm saying if you are someone that believes this is why our borders must be closed and protected or capitalism is important or whatever. Like just dig a little deeper because that was not what was reflected in our faith. Even a hundred years ago, you know, some Catholic churches were actually helping women get abortions, not saying you have to agree with abortion, but I'm saying they actually saw it as a service to help our society and to help women not be in these circumstances. So Every generation, every crisis that we go through is presenting something brand new, and not everything can be biblically addressed. Abortion isn't in the Bible. Birth control is not in the Bible. Capitalism is in the Bible and is not spoken of well. And so it's like you have to look at these things and be like, we're grappling with these issues one generation at a time. And if you're going to waste your time yelling and saying, this is the way it is, this is the way it's always been, the Bible clearly says, blah, 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 it's like, Well, no, it doesn't, because then you have to explain to me why nuns were providing abortions or why the church in Jesus's time was actually incredibly feminist and why he was allowing a woman to financially provide for him while he was on (laughs) his tour. You know, it's like it hasn't always been like this. Dive deeper. Do your research. And if you're someone that's in hurt, like in pain and in hurt then even more so you should be diving in because we don't have to accept the paradigm that we've been fed, especially when it hits your heart wrong, especially when you see the fruit of that doctrine has done nothing but hurt people and cause shame. You're allowed to go deeper and say, I know you're yelling at me and telling me what the truth is, but actually I'm just going to research on my own. I'm just going to pray on my own and see where I land on this and trust yourself. Because Jesus said he left the Holy Spirit as our direct communication to God. So have faith in that. And you're allowed to make mistakes, too. Like, you keep saying that, which I think is beautiful. It's clear you've been on some journey. (laughs) And I think a journey is beautiful. You know, people are so scared of getting hurt. Like heartbreak, for example, is one of the most painful things I've ever experienced. But it also grew me exponentially. It also like made me the woman that I am today. So why do we fear living life? Like this is what we're on this earth for. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, speaking of my own experiences, I did feel some shame about making bad choices. I'm putting in air quotes because as I've looked back through my life, those choices, like if I wouldn't have made those, I would have married the perfect man and been miserable. Not that I I feel like I've got the perfect man, but he's not the typical person that you would see. And that's what I love about, like you said, when we're allowed to kind of experiment and play with it a little bit and then figure out who we are and then have that honesty in there and that's really the saddest part about it there's a book I'll have to look it up and recommend it to you but it is talking about when we're living in two different paradigms of what Christianity is Um, we're living in this uh, like you said this male dominated Christianity thing when in fact real Christianity you know we need to go back to that to where women were respected in the church back to the roots of what Jesus was trying to do where we throw off all of I mean one of the reasons why uh, he was crucified and hated was for the fact that he wasn't a list checker. He wasn't living up to every Jewish law because that wasn't what was important. And we've gone back to that. We've gone back to being list checkers. And, you know, this is what a real Christian looks like when he, in fact, um, you know, hung out with prostitutes and sinners and women. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, women. And, you know, (laughs) just people that were 
were not, I, I guess they were shunned in society, but that's where we need to get back to, you know, where we're serving those other people. So let's talk about, obviously, the spiritual shaming that we feel is when people want to push their ideologies on us as that's the perfect way to be. How do you feel like we can become more resilient when somebody's trying to use these coercive methods to get us to live like they want us to? Um, (laughs) This will probably be controversial, but my answer a lot of times to that is walk away. Like if you're in a relationship that is spiritually abusive or manipulative, and I don't care who it's with, you know, a parent, a pastor, someone of authority that you've respected your whole life, if you know uh, in your heart of hearts that they are harming you and that they're not listening to you and you're not hearing you out. Primarily, I give this advice to anyone that's LGBTQ or or just women that are being like held under the thumb of somebody. It's like, you're not going to be able to get everybody on your team because fear is powerful. Mm-hmm. I think fear is one of the most powerful, useful tools that dark energy has. Well, losing Um, that community. I mean, some of us, we not only, I mean, that's our support system in a way. And and that could be scary to walk away from that because, because of, you know, we don't want to lose that support system. As horrible as it is, you know. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And I know that that happens to a lot of Mormon people as well. So I do hear you. And, and like I said, I did, I lost community myself. And maybe I'm talking too boldly about it because I still did have my parents. I still did have a handful of friends that did have my back. And I know not everybody has that privilege. There's like um, Megan Phelps Roper, who was a part of that terrible church, um, Westboro Baptist, that holds the like God hates fag signs and stuff. She had to leave everything. She lost her entire family, her entire support group. So obviously if it's that extreme you know, I do say leave because I do have LGBTQ kids who write me, not kids, you know, I don't tell teenagers <laughs> to leave the parents, but you know, when they're like 20 some years old and they're still being thrown under the bus and their dad is calling them the F word or whatever, I'm just like, you know, <laughs> you're just going to have to go find your people. And if that relationship repairs itself, if your dad has a revelation that he's been treating you this way, you can write a letter that articulates yourself and give him a chance to change. And he doesn't, you know, whatever. It's like, you do have to ultimately remove yourself from certain situations. And I would even say that to someone that just has a toxic family. Like if you throw up on the way to Thanksgiving dinner every year, maybe you stop going to Thanksgiving dinner. Like maybe that's not where you need to be. And I know it's hard, but I think it's harder staying in abusive situations. But if you're in a less extreme situation or you're like me where you're like, no, I'll fight you tooth and nail and I'm not going anywhere, which is how I kind of was with my dad. I set just healthy boundaries with him. Like we decided Trump talk is off the table. Fox News talk is off the table. Um, You know, my sex life is off the table. Whatever had caused us any friction before, we're like... Let's just take it off the table and see everything else that is in this relationship. So I would encourage people to do that if possible, to be like, look, we're clearly always going to hurt each other on this number of topics. Why don't we steer clear of them and unite where we do? We both love bowling. We both love (laughs) taking our dogs on a walk. We both love, you know, whatever, breaking bad, like just... (laughs) Figure out what unites you, where your love is, because we do have more in common than we don't. Exactly. And I think that's another thing, too. It's like at the end of the day, everyone wants their families taken care of. Everyone wants a good job. Everyone wants to be loved. And it's like, can we focus on that instead of X, Y, Z and maybe try to rebuild relationships from there? Yeah, that's one thing that like the first 9-11 really showed us that we were trying to explain that to our kids. I mean, they were none of them were born back then. And we were trying to explain like when push comes to shove, we really do have each other's back. And that's really what we've got to focus on. It's sad that we only have each other's back when there's a tragedy. It's, you know, I wish we could come to this place like where you are, where we're all speaking very affirmative to each other, regardless of how we may not agree in certain ways 
views, but at least we give each other the respect that my truth isn't your truth, you know, that we can we can talk honestly and live with courage, you know, to speak that. I wish we had more spaces like that, that, you know, there was that yeah. honesty and that courage that we could all really live up to be who, who we want to be. So one of my favorite videos that you do is how to connect to God. Found so much in that video that I loved. I loved how you talked about expanding your religion because I've done that with mine. You know, I've I've taken the good that's came from it and I hold on to those parts and then I cast off, you know, all the other crap that sometimes goes with it with the culture and the tradition and stuff like that. Do you have any other more points like that of how to develop that courage mm-hmm. in yourself to have that relationship or that connection with God? This is another trigger word for some Christians, but meditation. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we try to scare each other out of that by being like, you're going to let the devil in. But it's like you, that's not true. You get to dictate what you're allowing into your spirit, what you're inviting in, what is not welcome. And for me, it's been really impactful to just spend like 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes at night and just sit in silence. Like if my head is spinning, I just like, I'm like, God, here's the 10 things that I'm losing my mind over right now. And then actually just allow yourself to shut off. Cause I think social media is so pervasive in our everyday and everything about life, like needing to pay all the bills and everything that you have to do. I think just giving yourself permission to sit for 10 minutes is what I'm asking, uh, (laughs) is really impactful. And whenever I do it, the reward is so much more than I feel like is deserved of 10 minutes of my time. It just centers me so much. And I just always pray that it invites, you know, God's voice into my life all day long. And it really does. It's like, it just opens up that communication. It says, I am open. This is the way I want my day to go. This is the way I want my slumber to go. And I just think that's been so important for me. And it's been surprising how effective it is because we really are in a fog of social media and all of our worries and cares. And I think we all have to step out of that fog to try to, like you said, connect with God. Yeah. Well, and I love the the idea of that meditation because, well, it's something that I definitely believe in, that God has a mission and a purpose for us. And if we aren't listening to him, he can't deliver that for our lives and how we can help other people. And I really love the idea of how when we pray to God for direction or whatever, if we never give him time, you know, where we're really honestly looking at our lives or looking what he wants sometimes that meditation too, it can be like, why do I feel anxious about this or that? I mean, if we can't pinpoint the pain in our life and draw it to something, we can't help relieve it and get over it. And that's, there's so many people just walking around in pain because they refuse to acknowledge, (laughs) you know, that those things are going on, but it can be for the good or the bad. Um, God can help you see places to repair. He can help you see places to move. He can I just love the idea of meditation is super powerful. So, yeah. Um, so you talked about how you mentor a lot of people. You know, what have you learned from that? I mean, has it opened your heart even more? I'd love to hear like what you feel like you've learned from being able to be mentors to so many people. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a mentor. I think I aspire to be a mentor because for me, I don't resonate with, being online, like I know that it's real and I know that it's having a real effect on people. And then there are moments like this where I see you face to face and I'm like, oh, look, a (laughs) tangible thing, you know, because it's like reading comments and getting DMs and emails is incredible. And I'm so honored and blessed to get people's stories. And I love, love, love that Before my pregnancy, almost no one seemed to care about my personal life. Like, no one cared about me as a person. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) this is amazing because they're not looking to me for anything. They're just watching me be honest about myself. And it's encouraging them to be independent and honest with themselves. So their emails were never about, like, tell me more about you. It was like, this is my experience. When you said this, it triggered this in me. And now I've come to this resolution or feeling. And 
That's so I just awesome. Love that so much. Yeah, when we're honest, yeah. when we actually share how we're feeling, it opens up that. I think about the level of intimacy we could all be having just if we could be more real and more honest about who we were. I mean, that's, I guess, what we learn about the LGBTQ community is that they're finally coming out and just saying, like, this is who I am. And I have tried, you know, every other which way to be something different, but I am not. Can you just love me and accept me how I am? And I think that we, anybody, I don't want to, like you said, put us in different classes, but together we can learn so much just by being honest. And and that's awesome that your message is helping other people be so much more honest. Is there anything like you, you talked about meditation being really helpful, but is there any other advice that you would give on uh, maybe something that's really helpful to some sort of habit that might be helpful to other people? I'll just be honest and say I'm a very imperfect person. <laughs> I think I have a lot of bad habits right now because <laughs> I was I was off of Instagram for nine months and it was bliss. I loved every second of it. I felt so present and alive and awake. And then for God is gray, I had to get back on social media. And that's a struggle. Like I think I think we would all do ourselves a favor to make sure we're getting out in the sunshine and we are connecting to having our feet in the grass and we are putting away our devices and looking one another in the eye and going to dinner with people and just leaving our phone at home. Like I'm really hating these devices that make me feel very disconnected from reality. And that's why a part of my, and I say reality really in an like real way, like that is not reality. I know people that are very famous on social media and they are, I promise you, not happier. They're not finding fulfillment in that. And even me, just on a small scale, I'm not, you know, that large at this moment. But it's crazy how much it doesn't really penetrate because it's not really tangible. Like, I'm so glad that people have it in their own lives. But my goal is to really bring it into reality. Like, I really want to do God is Grey meetups and... I'm getting like a sex ed certification later this month because I want to connect with like preteens and families and I need to make my life more real and less social media. So I would just recommend like for anyone else, don't do what I'm doing right now and do something (laughs) better because I'm trying to break out of these bad habits at the moment. Yeah. And hoping a baby will help too. I fantasize that having a baby will jolt me into the present. Yes. That's where I really need to be. Like C.S. Lewis said it beautifully in um, Screw Tape Letters that, you know, Satan's objective is to keep you in the past because it is just how you thought of it in that moment. It's warped. We know how inconsistent and not real our memory can be. The future, it just creates anxiety and chaos. The present is where God is. The present is where you're actually residing. So just try to actually be there. Yeah. I love that you love C.S. Lewis, too. I actually, the book that I resonate, I mean, I use it as one of my core books, of, but it's that last battle with the Chronicles of Narnia. It's total fiction. Mm-hmm. But there's so yeah. much that I gain out of that about God and heaven and spirituality and how sometimes we stop ourselves from really experiencing it because we're not seeing like just like those dwarves that came through the door and they only saw that they were still in a barn instead of like, wow, I'm in heaven. You know, they were stopping themselves. And uh, anyway, I could go on about the whole C.S. Lewis thing. I love I know. He's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, well, (laughs) I've talked way too long to you. Uh, I've had so much fun. I could talk about a ton of different subjects with you just because you've got so much material that I sometimes when you're speaking, I'm like, wow, I could have said that. But she's so much more eloquent than I am. Than I am. You know, you talked about those meetups. But, you know, if you could leave a legacy, basically, what what do you hope it's going to be? Oh, uh, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, I think it's just uh, bringing people independence and honesty and communication and presence in their own lives. I think the best we can do as believers is to, exactly as Jesus put it, like just be. Show everybody who God is in your own life. Show everybody. And that doesn't mean being happy all the time. That means being authentic all the time and being like love and light and being in genuine pursuit of that connection. But everything else is just like, I think the more raw and real we all are, 
to hopefully just inspire people to do the same thing. Because mm-hmm. I don't want God is Gray to be about me. And I love that it, it seemingly isn't. It's really about everyone taking from that and making an impact in their own lives and the people that they love and, you know, how they're carrying it through in their day. Yeah. And allowing you to go, okay, if I discover this, I can always come back. And I think God is an experimental learner. And that's why we're here to have these experiences. Isn't that why Jesus Christ died on the cross for us is that he's like, go and experience life and know I have your back, you know, know that even no matter how something turns out, you can always turn around and come back, you know, that you're never lost. And I love that. So before we say goodbye, just any final parting words and then give us your contact information, how, you know, people could connect with you if they want. Yeah, I don't know. Parting words. I don't know. I love you guys. I just encourage everybody to have really thoughtful, beautiful dialogue with people that they disagree with. And if people are harming you, remove yourself from those situations and just be in pursuit on your own. Trust yourself trust your relationship with God and like move confidently through this life. Yeah. Cause and God trusts us, right? I mean, he trusts us. That's why we have the experimental learning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think life is about being perfect. I think it's about pursuing the beauty and like the highest like level that you can be at in your spirit and your mind. And that's going to include mistakes and heartbreaks and pain. And it's also going to be beautiful and joyful. Like heaven is for perfection. Life is a mess. So just be okay (laughs) with mess. you know? Yeah. All right. Well, I didn't let you say your parting advice or give your information. Yeah, just um, it's just God is Gray, G-R-E-Y on YouTube. You can search the God is Gray podcast on Google and that'll be on Apple, Spotify, Anchor and a bunch of other platforms. Instagram is at God is Gray, Twitter, God is Gray XO. I'm terrible at Twitter, <laughs> but you can try following me and see if you get anything. <laughs> that's how my Twitter um, is. Yeah, and that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Again, we've been chatting with Brenda from God is Gray. She's about ready to have a baby. So definitely go and see how you can help her out in that way. You know, check her out on YouTube. I'm going to be sure to link all that information that we discussed today on our website. But I just thank you so much, Brenda, for joining us and helping to really disrupt our thinking on topics of shame and maybe being more accepting. I really appreciate it. Of course. So nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.